0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. This week, we welcome back Jonathan Knudsen, who is the head of global research for the Circ Cybersecurity Research Center at Synopsys. And we pick up right where we left off. So without further ado, let's get to the point.
1: One other thing about the, the open source components is, you know, the more you get into it, the worse it gets. So, so is this concept of transitive dependencies. So sometimes developers will say, "Hey, I want to use this uh, this open source component or this framework or whatever it is," and they'll pull it in, and then it turns out that open source components can have their own open source components inside <laughs> them, right? Components within components, and and we call those transitive dependencies. Uh, and, I call that, our, and it just I call that it, a
2: nested Russian doll.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly, and, and it just makes it that much harder to keep track of everything. So. I just wanted to throw that out
0: there. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. That's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just,
1: we'll all we'll, we'll do some shots when this we'll, is over. <laughs> we'll pile it up.
0: So, I mean, do we ever see a time where there is any kind of accountability? You know, I, I think about organizations like, you know, NATO or, you know, the United Nations, they're, they're trying to tackle that big rock of, Okay, well, of all the countries around the world, how do we have any kind of accountability like nation state attacks or, you know, get everyone on the same page? But I mean, accountability seems to be a real, real, real problem. You know, are we ever going to get to a place where is it criminalized? Should it be criminalized? I mean, is what's the answer?
1: I don't see it happening, yeah. but I'm not like a real government public policy kind of guy, but I would be surprised i th- I think uh, what we can say is that organizations that build software, which is basically everyone, right. I think are slowly coming to the re- realization that security is an enabler, not an impediment right. so traditionally, security's like ah, oh, this you know it's seen as a roadblock, so traditionally. Your dev team writes the software and they throw it over the wall to the security team. The security team is swamped because they're doing this for everybody. And they do some testing and they send you back some 2000 page report that you don't understand. And and you're like, we can never fix all these things in time for our release. And eventually some vice president says, it's okay. we'll just go ahead and do it anyway. You know, but that that paradigm shifting. So people are starting to realize that when you do the software development right, when you've got the, the secure End to end process, you end up with better software. Right. I mean, it's not—it's not just that you're lowering your security risk, but you're also just making it better right. because you're you're thinking about it more at the beginning. So you get more of the stuff right at the beginning, and when you're doing your implementation and test, you're finding more things that can go wrong, which means that the quality goes up at the same time that it's right. more secure. And so, and then and then eventually. Um, like the people that buy the software, whether it's consumers or other businesses, are gonna see that security is a competitive right. differentiator. but 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 the thing is, how do you know how secure software is? Right. Like if you have the same functionality from two different vendors, how are you gonna know which one is is lower risk for you? And and that there are people working on that too. Like a rating like system we all know, or yeah.
0: like that, yeah, or yeah. yeah.
1: So we all know what secure development life cycle should look like we all know you know pretty much the types of testing that you want to do and the kinds of results that you want to see and so i i'm hopeful that over time we'll, we'll have yeah. guidelines or a way a meaningful way of evaluating like you know, how secure is this application
2: uh, john i don't know about you but i look forward to the day that i can walk into my local electronic store look at not just, you know, look at the counter there of all the different electronics and not just see the price, but next to it, some kind of security rating that makes, that lets me choose as a consumer, do I want to pay extra for security?
1: Yeah. Like Energy Star. Yeah. yeah that's exactly what you want. It is a little gauge and a number and something that helps, that means something that helps you evaluate it. And that's a tough nut to crack. And there are a lot of people working on that and there are a lot of different standards and stuff and, and We'll see what happens. A lot of
0: people don't care, though. I mean, it's I mean, let's be honest, right? I, my Chick-fil-A example when Chick-fil-A opened in New York. Right. I think they're I'm not disparaging them, but I think they had like a C grade or something. I mean, it was not an A. Right. And it's this is chicken here, you know, something with the handling. I don't yep. know, but you know what? Nobody cared because Chick Fil A was filing yep. in the city, and that line was around the block. Rolling Roll. the dice for that, you know, C grade chicken because it's Chick Fil A and it's delicious.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> think same thing with applications, right? You you want it to do you want to do exactly. stuff. And if, if the game's that good or, or your TikTok feed's <laughs> that good or whatever, you're, you're going to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can't help yourself.
1: Regardless yeah. of your risk.
2: But Rachel, I think in the case of Chick-fil-A, the brand was so strong there. You didn't care about the rating. You're like, that's a one-off. There's no way.
0: Exactly. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's sa- same thing with your
2: TikTok and same thing with, you know, all the other apps you have on that phone of yours or phones. I don't even <laughs> want to guess.
0: Yeah,
2: I have a few. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got Junk, I got, I got a provocative question for you, and and you can give me the lawyer answer if you want. But I noticed that all your research is tied around Android apps.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I, my question is, well, is iOS more secure that you just don't bother looking anymore, or <laughs> is there some other reason?
1: No, it, it's just harder to look right. at. So the way Android apps are distributed is unencrypted so we can just drop them into our tool and look at them the apple apps are distributed encrypted so of course there's a way around it so if you have a jailbroken ios device you install the app and then there's a way to like pull the unencrypted app off the device and then you can analyze it in exactly the same way so it's just uh it's just a little harder to get to so we we did the android ones for this
2: okay so and Apple just has a better distribution system where it's more secure, more digitally signed, it sounds like. and
1: Yeah. And and so as far as the security goes, I would not expect them to be any better. You know, yeah. I think that for the most part, the same development teams are going to be creating the Android and the iOS yeah. versions of the app. And so whatever practices they are or are not following, you know, probably going to be the same for both. You I mean, just because the platforms are technically different, you might see a little bit real different list of components uh, but but i would expect the results to be similar and and i guess this sort of goes back to one of the things we talked about in the report and your question about um, what a consumers do uh, and and we our suggestion was well if we can do this analysis app stores could do this analysis too and maybe they could put up some some kind of gates around you know how old the components can be or how many vulnerabilities there can be uh, so that that was our that was <laughs> that was like our best answer for consumers is well maybe the app store could be better.
2: <laughs> I, I think Google's got a project that goes out there and scans open source. Anyways, it does some of this and identifies it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always identified in the yeah. app in the consumers marketplace though. Right. But they they've got a whole separate service that does that. And I think Apple has marketplace they, checks like that you mentioned. It's just oh yeah, various...
1: they, they definitely do. Like running an app store is is. Yeah. Hard to do, and props to them for doing it because people will throw all sorts of crap at you, and and it's yeah. and it's your responsibility to take care of your consumers, but it, it's also um, it's also in your best interest because if people know that you know one out of every four apps is full of malware, that they're, they're not going to want to be part of your ecosystem exactly. anymore. So Apple and Google are definitely doing some kind of vetting on apps as they come in from developers. But, you know, maybe they're doing SCA and we don't know about it. But but if they are, they're not really, obviously, they're not kicking back apps that have really old components in them and, and lots with lots of known vulnerabilities.
2: Yeah, but I imagine if you're Google or Apple and you have a, mar- even at Microsoft, you have an Apple store, some kind of marketplace. If you start doing this analysis, you might find out all of them are vulnerable and you're like, well, I can't stop everything. So I've got to focus on maybe what they have access to and... <laughs> Maybe limited to certain things like what do you enter data into and things like where does that go? I imagine I like do point out it's so complex for them.
1: Yeah, definitely. They they've got these competing priorities where they want to keep it as open as possible, so as many developers as possible can participate to give wide variety of apps for the consumers. And, you know, the whole thing sort of flows together. But on the flip side, they do want to make sure that there's a, a certain bar for quality and security for getting into the store.
2: I mean, I mean just flipping it around. Like, one of the things I'm kind of curious, like, should we have some kind of regulation requires either apps that are public or maintained? Like, the definition of a a public app that's distributed, like, should we have some kind of government regulation that says you've got to
1: keep it up to date? Yeah, no. that's the question. <laughs> that's the question. I, I think, again, it's really hard to to pin down, like. Uh, there, there are all sorts of corner cases. Like I could update all of my open source components to latest versions, but even those might have vulnerabilities right. in and them. I'm... And and and, and even even going deeper into the rabbit hole, if I'm a developer, I can get an open source component, but then I can modify it and include it in my app, and probably the SEA tool will still flag it. But maybe I fixed a bug right. that was in it. No, so it, it's it's a tough one.
0: That is a tough one. It's because I. I feel like so many, like my, I have a couple of banks, right. That I work with. And one of them is just, just go to the app, go to the app. You know, <laughs> it just, yeah. you know, I feel like, you know, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to deal with me. Just go in the app and figure it out. Self-service. And I, it makes me a little uncomfortable with my banking details.
1: <laughs> me too. I, and for me, at least part of it's generational. Like my kids are all mid twenties and, uh, and, uh, they do everything on the phone, and, and the phone just drives me nuts. I just really want to have a keyboard so I can type stuff. But similarly, it doesn't – I don't know. It's just – it kind of feels flimsy in a way. Like <laughs> yeah. like like not physically flimsy, but yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I
0: don't want to be on the Starbucks but, uh, Wi-Fi accessing my, my banking app. You know what I mean? I just –
1: <laughs> yep, this is the world we live in.
2: <laughs> well, that's secure, right? Starbucks is secure, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Not a
0: problem there. Ever.
1: Especially if you connect to that um, that access point that says, Starbucks super free Wi Fi. Star, star, star. That's the best one.
2: That's sarcasm for those on the, you know listening to the podcast. And please do not do that. Cause... That's great That's not advice. That's
0: funny. I've, I've got a I guess a neighbor on my block whose um, internet or their Wi Fi is called FBI surveillance fan. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: I don't think that was safe. I'm just gonna go out on a limb on that one. There, yeah.
2: Keeps people off your Wi Fi, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe
0: <laughs> i would think they would have really good wi-fi in that van though man if i could get some good connectivity i'd take it That's
2: right <laughs> directly to satellite it's starlink i hear it's using starlink <laughs> <Like a> star.
0: <laughs> oh now i'm really interested in your background too jonathan i mean one of the things that we love to talk about is kind of how people found their way to this path and and your degree is in mechanical and aerospace engineering which which I love but you've never really used it I <laughs> I think you nope, said no
1: never did that yeah it, I guess it's you know the first thing that you get on your resume is the one that sticks so oh. while I was in college for a summer or two I worked at Bell Labs Oh wow my dad got me a job at Bell Labs for the summer and and I I learned how to program C, and, and it was all software after that. Um, oh, the, the first summer was so cool. Uh, they gave me two Game Boys, the original Game Boy. So this, this was, um, I don't know, 1989 or 1990. Yeah. And at the time, there was a physical cable. You could plug two Game Boys together. You could play head-to-head with certain mm-hmm. games. Um, and they said, okay, why don't you see if you can make it play over a network instead? over ISDN network and so and and so I took the cable apart and I hooked it up to an oscilloscope and I found clock bits and I found data bits and I I uh, made a little circuit and I recorded the data and figured out what it was doing and then I I ended up getting it done but it was just such a cool project but anyway it was all software after that and I I did a bunch I did some development I I did a lot of technical writing. So I got a job with O'Reilly um, oh, yeah, yeah, as a, as a writer yeah. at some point. And so I got to write a few books about Java development. Wow. And um, eventually, I don't know, I did a book about cryptography and that was really Ooh, interesting. Cool. Yes. And cryptography is not security, but it's, it's definitely adjacent exactly. and it's used a lot. And so um, I knew that was interesting. And then around 20, 10, I guess I was specifically trying to get a job in security, mm. cybersecurity, because it looked really cool. And I was lucky enough to get a sales engineer job. So it's been cybersecurity ever since then.
0: It's never a dull moment in this world, you know? <laughs> I,
1: well, one of my favorite things is a good, like a good exploit story yes. blog. So it's somebody's, because it's like a heist, yes. movie, right? It's like, oh, we did this incredibly complicated thing that you can't even imagine. And and so at its best, it's like really good storytelling. You know, we looked at this, we found this little hole in the wall, and we, you know, stuck our chisel in and wiggled it around. And, you know, it's just fun.
0: It's uh, it's funny because you know I kind of I've been in technology a long, long time too, and kind of started off like in the laptop world, you know, back when two hundred thirty three megahertz was like blazing fast speeds, and then we oh, introduced yeah. Bluetooth, whoa, you know, and and eight hundred two hundred oh, eleven, yeah. all those things. But it's like at some point the laptops kind of, you know, I mean, there's only so much that they could get to, and and then you find this security world where it's you're kind of minds blown, <laughs> like every few weeks they do that. Yes. And to your point, it's it's like this never-ending kind of Hollywood film that just kind of gets more interesting and, and interesting, which makes me think of, I mean, you've been in now, what, 15-ish years. What are the next 15 years going to look like? <laughs>
1: right? That's well, well, we're back to chat GPT, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Pekka's favorite topic in the whole world right now.
1: AI, yes. will figure out how to make better AI, and, and then it's all over for us. Now, I don't know. I... I think I feel like we're slowly getting there, like we're slowly getting this idea across. I, every time I tell as many people as I can that, you know, security has to be part of software development. It's it's the same thing. you got to do it the right way to make risk lower for everybody. And, and I, I think it's happening, you know, like we're gradually making that transition. And I think people are gradually realizing the kind of risks that we're up against. And that, in fact, every organization works on software, depends on software, and that it's, you know, um, so any software risk is really organizational risk. And and exactly. I think we're getting there. But the next 15 years, probably more of the same, like we're we're just slowly making the (laughs) needle move a little more. And and I think things will get better. it, it'll yeah. always be, I think it's sort of a, a, I mean, people call it like an arms race sometimes yeah. like, they're like, okay, attackers know how to exploit this kind of bug. So we'll change the compiler. So it's harder to make that kind of bug and, and, and so on and so forth. there's, there's some of that, but, but the big part is it's all about the process.
0: Right. I think, um. And you taught, I'm curious in, in kind of what that was like in, you know, you were at, uh, I think you taught at Duke and, you know, it's kind of access to the the younger people. I'm kind of excited to see what, what they're going to do, especially, you know, when they've grown up with nothing but digital at their fingertips, right? I mean, almost since birth. You know, what, yeah. what was that like? I mean, kind of uh, what what was the perspective of of the students when when you were teaching?
1: It was fun. It was, I think...
0: Any future attackers?
1: I guess I felt like <laughs> yeah, I mean it's probably like any subject where you get a few people that are like really interested yeah. and and the rest of them are just trying to get through the class, but I felt like I was telling them a lot of stuff that they didn't know, and I felt like they should have should have known some <laughs> of it, so so the way I ended up teaching this course was um it started out it's a graduate level course, but but I don't think it should yeah. be so. It was originally part of like engineering management and then and then they started a fintech program and it became part of that. Which is fine, but I think, I mean, probably every professor believes this, but I think it should be like a requirement for the undergraduate CS curriculum. And uh, as a data point, Forrester, I think um, a, a few years ago, they surveyed like major CS curriculums in the US and found that out of the top 40 schools, none of them required anything about security in CS. And, and, and that sort of goes back to what I'm saying, like you should never talk about one without the other. So I enjoyed teaching class and I felt like at least the people that took the class got to learn something useful and important. But I feel like from the beginning, Don't just tell people how to write code. Tell them how to work inside this process that that makes it okay.
0: Exactly.
2: I wonder if we should make software development kind of like a trade where if you think about your plumber or Mm. anyone that comes to your house, they usually have an apprenticeship program that's formalized. They have almost a license eventually, and the person in charge takes responsibility for the folks below him. So if someone doesn't build something (laughs) to spec or plugs in power with water together, you know. You, you hold the top person responsible, the software, the lead software developer or the chief security architect, whatever it might be the right responsibility there.
1: That's, that's kind of the play. Um, I guess with software development, it's more like if you were comparing the, the, the trades with the inspectors. So you want the, you want the electricians and plumbers to be able to do their thing. But you want them to live inside of a process where somebody's checking, and if it's not right, you yeah. go back and fix mm-hmm. it. And and it's not so much about holding developers responsible; it's just giving them this framework to work mm-hmm. in, where um, where the security testing happens automatically, and when there are findings, they get fed back to the developers through. You know, they're already using an issue tracker to keep track of what mm-hmm. they've got to do. So you just need to use that same existing mechanism so that. From the developer point of view, it's, it's hardly any different. They're still building things and trying to make things work. But their to do list also involves, oh, you did a SQL injection here, you should really fix that up and and so on and so forth.
0: I like that. So how how are we going to get that started? (laughs)
2: Peco. <laughs> I, I think there's lots of companies that are, you know, shifting left and giving their developers tools so that yeah. way they can are aware of it when they're writing their code. They also get a list of, hey, here's some things we want you to be aware of. Not saying you've got to fix them, but if you want to, if you don't fix these, you know, request for a waiver, let's say, Thanks. you know. Yeah. You know
1: well, yeah, that's part of it. And so part of that is just feeding back through Jira or Bugzilla yeah. or whatever they're using. Um, and then also there are these tools that run in the uh right in the IDE, yep. like, and they, they call them like a spell checker. And, and so if you do something dangerous there, it can let you know. And yeah. and, and that's even better, right? Because it's a closer feedback loop. The larger one is developer writes code, commits it to the repository. Testing happens. Feedback happens through issues. Yeah. The, the shorter feedback loop is write code. IDE plugin says, hey, this doesn't look right. Mm, and yeah. they fix it right then, yeah. even before it goes into the repository. So, yeah. Uh, some of it's about getting developers more involved, but, but fundamentally, you got to let developers be developers right. and build the stuff and, and be creative in the way that they do. And, and, and above all else, don't waste their time because then they will ignore you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: what, what did uh,
2: Steve Ballmer say? Developers, developers, developers. So I guess that's your motto. <laughs> I
1: guess so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, this is so much fun. We could, I mean, this is, I think we're just scratching the surface here on this, this whole topic, but I do want to be mindful of time, Jonathan. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun. I don't know. Do you have any words of wisdom to all of our, our friends out there using sports betting apps for March Madness? As <laughs> parting words?
1: I would say don't install an app unless you really want to. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you're putting in credit card information or whatever, try to be mindful about where that's going. It's probably going to be OK,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's good to be aware yeah. there are risks.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to the next person. So, you know, <laughs>
1: right?
0: right. <laughs> well, to all of our listeners out there, thanks again for joining us this week. And don't forget to subscribe because you get a fresh episode every single Tuesday. So, until next week, be safe.
1: Thanks. Thank you
0: so much. Thanks for joining us for the To the Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by ForcePoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com/govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.